In sorely cliche dark side of K-pop stories, K-pop record labels are often painted as pragmatic corporations who try to control every aspect of their idols' brand. It's not unusual to hear about how companies carefully present the character and image of their idols through music video comebacks, press interviews, and stage social media. But what if a label found a way to create unprecedented control over their idols? What if labels could control idols in a way where idols never went off script, never aged, stayed on message, and could be in a million different places around the globe at once? With SM Entertainment's group Aespa, this possibility might soon be realized. Prior to their debut, the founder of SM Entertainment, Lee Suman, described a unique concept for a group which combines real-life idols and virtual avatar members who exist in the virtual world. These virtual avatars are described as interacting with and communicating through the digital world. Lee went so far as to call these idols as, quote, independent beings because they have AI brains, end AI 브레인을 갖고 있기 때문에 서로 얘기도 하고 서로 조력도 해주고 또 서로 친구도 되고 정보도 나누고 또 각자 세계에서 할 일을 If this is starting to sound like a dark dystopian science fiction story, that's because it was. The Black Mirror episode, Rachel, Jack, and Ashley 2, shows what can happen when a fan meets an AI version of their favorite pop star. Thanks. You know, she's actually, uh, she's got a personality. It's modeled right after my own. Oh, so like an AI? Um, we actually have a commercial. I think we gave it to you. And uh, The commercial, yeah. Uh, I think we're ready to run that now. Fire it up. Let's do it. Now you can be best friends with your favorite pop star. Ashley, wake up. Hey there, I'm Ashley too. An all-new intelligent companion based on Ashley O's actual personality. Dark Mirror episodes often provide social commentary on the pitfalls of the technology, so you can likely guess how things happened without revealing episode spoilers. It presented a natural tension between the control of the label and the creative expression from the artist. It also questioned whether using training data from the artist for AI-generated chartbuster hits was fair or ethical for the artist. And it's not hard to see why more labels are seeking this model. In Japan, these idols have been proven to be extremely profitable. Extremely Uh profitable. The voice you're hearing now is Thomas Bonanet, who's comparing the Japanese model of virtual avatars with the new ASPA concept. I am a lecturer in international studies in the Department of Media, Communication, Creative Arts, Languages and Literatures in Macquarie University, Sydney, Australia. And what Thomas is illustrating is that this virtual avatar concept is a way to generate intimacy with an idol at a scale that just hasn't been done before. Is it in today's world, I think that there's a break, like this kind of firm delineation between real and virtual has broken down. Mm -hmm. Um, And that we live in a world in which that, to quote the Japanese phrase, the 2.5D, between the 2D and the 3D world, or the real and the virtual world, has become increasingly more relatable to people, and that people can feel a sense of connection. Um, And this 2.5D world is interesting because it always entangles the real and the virtual together into this complex kind of system. And then people are involved in kind of, wow, I get to like have this avatar and then there's maybe these spin-off products that I can buy and there's a real person that I can interact with in these various ways. And all it does is add extra opportunities to engage. Mm-hmm. And I think that those extra opportunities to engage are actually going to help um, strengthen intimacy. Mm-hmm. So whether it manufactures intimacy or not, I don't think is necessarily um, 
the the concern. It's whether it has the potential to to increasingly build on those parasocial relationships and allow them to diffuse into other areas of our lives. Celebrities have this kind of like cult of personality around them. That's clearly what's speaking. Program lead at the Partnership on AI, who leads the organization's AI and media integrity work. Uh, point of ethical disclosure, Partnership on AI is my employer. And I think if you could make more versions of that, that people interact with, or you could interact with them, you know, celebrities, you know, they say celebrities, they're just like us, they feel things, etc. I think if you could actually expose fans to a virtual avatar who kind of you can talk to all day as opposed to just see them on a YouTube video may actually help kind of bridge this gap between celebrity and reality. Kind of in the way Instagram stories allows you to see behind the curtain of moments in celebrities' lives. You got that content me so For the longest time, K-pop labels have been trying to create this concept of the idol that you can meet. The problem is, it's very hard to do that at scale. The group NCT, for example, is based on the concept of having many members all in one group, each member having a connection to a different part of the world. That way, as a group, as a Brand, you're able to develop a lot of relationships, a lot of touch points, a lot of connections to all these different international fans. But that's expensive. You got to pay for the training, the salaries, the publicity efforts for each of the individual members. A scalable model is creating an algorithm only once. Once you've created the AI, once you've created the algorithm, you can deploy that at scale. You can have each fan engage with, talk with, socialize with, build parasocial relationships with the idol. And you don't have to keep paying for that. You don't have to worry about contract negotiations for renewing. You control the, the indefinite license and property of that idol. And the best part for fans, you can do it through your phone, through your computer, anywhere in the world where you have access to the algorithm. But Aespa is different. It's got a duality concept combining both human idols and virtual idols. So with this in mind, is Aespa artificial intelligence? Does Aespa have these artificially generated interactions with its fans? You know, we don't look at Disney cartoons and say that they're AI generated or synthetic media, right? And when I looked at the video, I didn't see much of a difference in terms of typical uh, cartoons or animation and what made them AI oriented. But there are many different definitions of AI, but one that we like to use is that it's computer programs that can access data and use that data to learn for themselves in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and synthetic media in particular, or deep fakes as they're more um, called in layperson terms are images or videos that AI has been used to generate them. So a mere avatar isn't necessarily a deep fake, but an AI generated piece of content that has learned from data to create an image is a deep fake. So for example, um, a lot of the deep fakes we see take celebrity images and use AI to learn about those images and create a new version of that image that looks like them, maybe in a different situation. 
but just mm-hmm. creating an avatar um, isn't necessarily using AI. If the words avatar and virtual idols and virtual group are starting to sound familiar, well, that's because it's not entirely unprecedented. The group KDA from Riot Games is another virtual group that's often used in comparison when talking about ASPA. Though KDA uses real-life idols, the image and the brand are largely driven by the video game characters that Riot Games is trying to promote. Despite Jen Soyeon's amazing ability to hard carry the group, we've also seen Hatsune Miku, another virtual idol, uh, one that has real-life concerts and stages similar to KDA, presented using augmented reality or holographic technologies. But none of these are artificial intelligence. The thing is, like, SM is not a technology company. That's according to Heijin. So my name is Heijin Lee, and I am clinical assistant professor at the Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism at University of Southern California. Heijin had some history on what's been done before and what's possibly ahead. I know that SM did something a couple years ago. They partnered with SK Telecom, which would be kind of like Verizon or AT&T in the States. And they created, um, they, they have like a Siri platform. SK has a Siri-like platform called, I think it's called Nuga. And um, and they had a hologram uh, figure uh, behind the Nuga platform. And um, SM partnered or collaborated with SK for that project and had Wendy to become like the AI right. figure. Yeah, um, but it's like very, but it's kind of like you know, um, what, what uh, Siri or Alexa would do. Basically like, mm-hmm. you know, providing a very basic information like the weather, uh, sports games, results, um, news of the day, um, but just in Wendy's voice. But I don't think, you know, that um, AI robot was able to like, you know, go into its own world and start like, you know. Be self-aware or adaptive. No, no, not not at that level. It was just more of like very basic Siri or Alexa kind where you would repeat things that are uh, Mm pre-programmed, but in Wendy's voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent do you think this concept is um, unprecedented before? Like, I, I'm thinking of other, uh, like, virtual groups is not a new thing. Like, I, I grew up with gorillas. Like, I love that group. <laughs> right, um, right. But, like, it, from a technology point of view, I don't, I don't see ASPA or uh, others being all that different um, right. from this. Yeah, I mean, so that's why it was really interesting when I was looking at the reactions to uh, the news of ESPA or the concept of ESPA being uh, revealed. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of uh, people who wrote, um, yes, new technology, but it doesn't feel new. There were a lot of people who were commenting on how it didn't really feel new or fresh. Like, mm-hmm. if, you know, and it might have to do with KDA, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and two of the G Idol members are right. involved in KDA. So it might have to do with that, or it might have to do with um, the Japanese entertainment industry that has used uh, virtual idols uh, mm-hmm. and have been very successful with it. Like not only Hitsune Miku, but also like with YouTube, I know in Japan, one of the most popular things going on in YouTube uh, in Japan right now is virtual YouTube hosts. Um, there's mm. like thousands of them and they're really, really popular. And I know whatever happens in Japan, like Koreans actually have like 
access, like they have information to it. It might have to do with that. And if you look at the Korean entertainment history, in 1998, there was a cyber singer named Adam that was introduced to Koreans and had was pretty successful. Um, so it was the first cyber uh, um, singer for Koreans. Uh, it, it was computer, like the, the singer was, uh, was computer generated. Um, so it kind of looked like a cartoon figure uh, or an anime figure. And um, a voice was provided for that cyber singer. Um, so, like, the idea of virtual idol itself is not new, but was different from KDA, um, Adam, and Gorilla, I would say, you know, from ESPA is that now we have, like, real human beings who are, like, in, who, who are being identified with these virtual idols. Mm -hmm. So, it's Winter, let's say, you know, there are four members, so the AI uh, or the virtual idol Winter is supposed to be a reflection of the human winter and vice versa. So there's a direct association between the two that we have not seen with other virtual idols before, whether in uh, Japanese entertainment companies or whether with uh, Gorilla or whether with um, Adam, the cyber uh, singer that Koreans had back in 1990s. <laughs> When I was watching the Black Mamba um, MB, I yeah. expected to see a lot more of the virtual idols. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And they weren't there. They weren't there in, in as kind of prominent a role. They were almost like cameos. And I'm thinking, why is that the case? What, what's happening here? Are they somewhat kind of, is there a shift or is something happening? Um, I don't know. We need to keep watching. It's still too early, but there's a part of me that was kind of thinking, hmm, when they were promoting this as such a big deal, why aren't we seeing them in the MV so prominently? Well, it makes sense because um, KBS is not going to have the technology to bring the, the um, virtual idols on stage. I don't think any of the live stage programs will have the resource or the technology to do that. So we're not going to really see a whole lot of virtual idols being present on live stage performances. There are so many like obstacles uh, for that to happen. Uh, technically speaking. Yeah, technically speaking, like, you know, Mnet's not going to do that for one group. They're not going to invest a lot in, create, you know, allowing that technology to play out on stage for one new group. It's not even like an established group. It's a new group. They're not going to invest a lot unless SM throws them tons of money and say, hey, we'll support you whenever ESPA comes on stage. They're not going to do that. SM is not a technology company, although it's been working with KAIST, which is Korea's version of MIT on a lot right. of different programs. So that's something that we'll have to see, but I don't see anything happening in the near future. It will take a long time for SM to really build an AI robot that would be operating at a level of hell from like Space Odyssey, where it has its own yeah. mind. It can, you know, you know, it can just like automatically learn from their users. They're they're not uh, even equipped to, to do actual real mm -mm. AI, real genuine AI or deepfake generated uh, media. So, though I, I would throw in there yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, so we're clearly a ways away from actual, genuine artificial intelligence. But if we're to fulfill Lisa Men's vision for this group, are there potential pitfalls in using this technology? Dangers that we as K-pop fans need to be aware of in consuming this artificially, synthetically generated content. Deep fakes is are still not ubiquitous. Um, we're not most of the 
imagery that we see today that's manipulated doesn't use AI, but certain domains we see deepfakes in, our colleagues at um, Sensitai AI, or they were formerly known as Deep Trace, Trace, I I need to check their new name. Uh, They produced a report in 2019 that said 96% of the deepfakes we see today are used for non-consensual sexual exploitation, predominantly against women. So deepfake porn. Um, So that's the main use case. And I think even if these women in this K-pop group didn't have avatars, we'd be nervous about people using AI to, you know, put them in these unsavory contexts. K-pop has been dealing with uh, deepfake porn uh, for a while because so many images, because, you know, you have to understand that K-pop idols are very visible on social media. They're everywhere, Mm -hmm. not only they're active in social media but because they're also very active in their appearances in like reality tv shows and talk shows in korea so there are just an abundance of amount of content that you can find regarding to k-pop idols so because of that um because of their visibility and also their relatability uh it's easy to find an image of a k-pop idol and just use those images for deep fake porn and that's yeah yeah that's been reported over and over again. Um, so K-pop has been dealing with that. But if there's a virtual idol, you know that those images can be used in a way that, you know, that SM does not want it to be used, mostly for like pornographic purposes. And I've heard that that's one of the things that KDA had to also deal with because they're anime characters or because they're video game characters. People don't really feel guilty when they use those images to create pornographic images because it doesn't really hurt a human being. But with us, it's going to be different because if, let's say, a virtual member, uh, let's say the virtual version of virtual idol version of Karina gets used in a pornographic way, then it can have a direct impact on the human Karina. Uh, it's not her body that is being used for pornographic purposes, but it can have a mental, you know, um, or it, it can impact Karina, the human Karina's mental and emotional well-being. So that's mm-hmm. going to be very, very different from KDA or Hachne Miku or other virtual idols that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And that's like yeah. a big concern. That's a real concern. When I saw a virtualized idol, um, it made me think about other instances of virtualization of K-pop female idols that are perhaps less positive or perhaps more potentially problematic. Um, so my mind went to the nth room scandals on telegram Mm. Um, many of your listeners may be familiar with this these were very very concerning spaces in which uh, men coerced young women into performing all sorts of sexual acts some of these women were minors but what is not as well known about the nth room scandal was that it was also a space in which deep fake pornographic manipulations of female idols including some really big name stars were circulated and there was a lot of degrading talk around idols. So I was thinking, when I thought of virtualization, my mind thought to the ways in which incredibly sophisticated um, kinds of forms of virtual pornography are circulating in the world and Mm -hmm. that not everyone would be engaging with these A-esper kind of um, virtual avatars in good faith yeah i saw the potential for people to take these manipulatable um, images of idols and do to them all sorts of things that perhaps 
you couldn't do to the actual members. And, and so maybe I'm going down a particular dark tunnel, but it's really stimulated by the fact that we see a lot of deep fake pornography circulating mm-hmm. around the globe that is emerging out of K-pop, actually. There's some precedents, actually, with regards to this in Japan as well. Japan has a very sophisticated virtual idol industry, um, and Japan's uh, kind of media landscape has also been replete with all sorts of productions where those virtual idols are put into all sorts of problematic positions, many of which are pornographic. So this is where my, my concern came from. And my concern particularly came from the fact that there wasn't any clear messaging out of SM Entertainment mm-hmm. around how they were going to manage this potential problem. Mm-hmm. It made me think maybe they haven't even thought about this potential problem. Yeah. What becomes complicated, though, is that a lot of the, the deepfake pornography that emerges out of K-pop fandom is produced in spaces where litigation might be a little bit more tricky. So a lot of it comes out of China, um, mm. according to a report that was conducted um, in 2019. About 25% of it is coming out of China. And, and whilst the Chinese laws around pornography are very strict, it's very difficult to get involved in the Chinese uh, legal system if you're coming from the outside. So there is that aspect. So the companies, you know, they're, they're very strict around the use of the images of their idols, mostly from a kind of, you know, proprietary perspective yeah. that they want to make sure they control the image because that's when, where they get all of their profits, which in itself has ethical problems. But yeah, they're, they're being more open, at least in regards to the Telegram scandal with regards to pornographic production. And that's because pornography is illegal in South Korea. So they can very clearly make statements around you're using the physical images of our real idols, that's being done without their consent and that's illegal. The problem that I have is that there's been nothing spoken about what happens if one of the ESPA's um, virtual idols gets used within this mm-hmm. context because mm-hmm. there's this kind of potential around, you know, well, we know that we legally can't do it with the actual female idol, we'll get prosecuted, but hey, now there's this stand-in we could use and the, the law becomes a little bit more morally grey. I mean, pornography is legal, but of course that doesn't stop it. And, you know, the, the legalization of whether pornography should or should not be illegal is not necessarily something that I think is so relevant to this case mm-hmm. as much as it is around consent and the consent mm-hmm. of the women whose images are being used. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, there's an argument that could be made that, oh, when the women joined ESPA, they joined and signed a contract knowing that there, uh, there would be this kind of, yeah, that that there would this be virtualized version, these avatars, Mm -hmm. and that there's a a kind of strategic business plan around XYZ. But Uh I could, I would 100%, um, imagine a case where this was not considered at mm-hmm. the level of planning or that it was considered only in a very limited capacity. And as I said, there's been no statement from management around this particular issue. Um, and, and it's interesting because we see a very different ex- example when BTS Universe was launched, which mm-hmm. allows people to use the images of BTS and create their own little stories. There were very strict rules put into place around what is and is not okay. Now, of course, fans have found ways to get around that. Uh-huh. But 
clearly from a management perspective, it was something that was taken into consideration. Now, I'm not suggesting that big hit, good, SM, bad here. That's, you know, just simplistic. But what I'm suggesting is that clearly there isn't a lot of industry standards um, that are kind of emerging in this new, exciting world of virtualized idols. And this also reflects what we see in Japan, where Japan hasn't really got a lot of kind of regulation or or legal structures around virtualized idols. But in the Japanese context, it's usually the case that the virtualized idol exists without having a real person that it relates back to. So that's where things become a little bit more complicated with regards to um, ESPA. Um, and it's interesting to note that I, I guess some of these similar concerns could arise around KDA, um, yep. but KDA does have, I think, a slight level of disconnect yeah. from uh, like the real idols who give the voices. It's more similar to the Japanese model. What's interesting about ESPA is that there's a real attempt to link virtual and real together, and that leads me to be kind of concerned about um, you know, what the implications for the four young women in this band will be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of concerning um, practices in K-pop, particularly around young women um, and their mental health that I think is important to um, acknowledge. Not over-acknowledge, as is often the case in some kind of Western media takes, but to, there are real issues. One of the things that Westerner, Western K-pop fans have been most concerned with in regarding to the virtual idol version is they're afraid that the virtual idols, they're not going to age. Their body's never going to change. They're always going to be this perfect ideal body shape, unlike mm-hmm. human beings. So they're afraid that there's going to be a constant comparison between between the virtual idol versus the human idol. What happens when the virtual idols, what what happens if the human idols age or when they gain weight or they don't look their best while their virtual counterpart remains fresh and looks beautiful and and just continues to look as good as they they did. Don't we already have that though too, right? Like celebrities have plastic surgery and all of this attention that you know, I guess it's important to think about what's the difference, right? Like mm-hmm. we've had sexualized imagery and pop stars for a really long time. We've had perfectionism and we actually didn't know a lot about celebrities' real lives compared to today. Um, magazine images. So I'd say what feels different today is how it's just constant. It's in your pocket. And I actually think sometimes it's even more threatening if it was your friends, right? I can know that celebrities, I kind of have in my mental model that a K-pop star, I'm never going to be like a K-pop star. Mm-hmm. But I see my friends airbrushing themselves. If I see my friend with an avatar of perfection, that may hit closer to home for me because I'm supposed to be more like them. Um, so I do think some part of me thinks this is something we've seen forever in celebrity. But the can of worms will almost be like when you know, have you heard of Lil Michaela, the influencer on Instagram? Uh, no. There's an influencer on Instagram that's uh, an avatar, not a real person, that has millions of followers, tons of brand sponsorships. And in some ways, that's even stranger because it's like a inanimate object that has achieved fame and become this model for people. I guess it's become a celebrity. But to me, it feels a little different than... Um, unrealistic expectations for lay people. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I guess like I, I can totally understand exactly what you're saying. Like, well, I can categorize this in my mind and other people can too, that this is unrealistic. Like, it, in fact, it is virtual. It is make-believe. Therefore, I don't have to worry about trying to adhere to this ideal. But again, the strategy with this group and the virtual idol is to be personalized and distributed and yeah. ubiquitous for everyone. So I'm imagining young boys being like, this is all I need. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a whole new can of worms, Peter. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of like Japan yeah. right now, but. Yeah. No. To be honest, when I observe what happens in Japan, yeah, there's some problems, but actually it seems to be fairly benign. And that's partly due to not a industry-wide regulation, but some of the, the kind of fail-safes that are built into the idol industry there. Um, so do I think that K-pop will go the f- full virtual idol route? I'm not sure because um, one of the real kind of driving forces of K-pop fandom, at least for me, is that sense of connection and that sense of intimacy with an idol, you know. Um, a real-life idol. Yeah, exactly. This kind of pa- what we call a parasocial relationship mm-hmm. where you feel like, oh, I can open up V Live and I can watch Idol, who I really love, eat kind of food and, and chat sure. with people. And there's a real kind of connection there, um, even if it's mediated through media. I think that what SM is doing here with ESPA is that they're trying to allow this kind of intimacy to extend in new and exciting ways, but there needs to be a real quote unquote anchor. So there still needs to be a flesh and blood idol with the avatar being the expression of that. And I think that this is the direction that K-pop will go as opposed to J-pop where there has been a somewhat radical break. Um, and I think that that's important because for SM's kind of expansion, and I'm just reflecting back on the recent NCT um, yeah. kind of, press con where you know i was kind of surprised here we're gonna have nct australia and i'm kind of like that'll be an interesting move in our particular market Uh um but what i think it allows them to do is have these kind of flesh and blood anchors in south korea and then expand it across the world in in ways that are a little bit less tied down to the physical and that might kind of really be interesting because you've got this kind of really cool entanglement of social media and K-pop fandom, and it really helps drive everything. So I think that, yes, I'm concerned about what happens when people act in bad faith and manipulate these images and use them in potentially problematic ways. You're creating not just totally new likenesses, but versions of real people, which is kind of Um, you know, that gets into this ethical question of, I create a version of myself on Instagram, right? That's not necessarily me. Um, I do think there are some fundamental differences about an avatar that Mm. reflects their physical likeness. It's kind of hyper-sexualized in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like an extension of them that's much more physically emotive. And if it is intelligent or AI generated, right? that might have some level of autonomy. Like I can't even imagine having an AI Claire that decides things almost in different ways than me. And that can create probably a lot of, you know, stress for the K-pop star, even if the fans might really enjoy these two versions of their favorite people. But I do, I do think it's important to question uh, what's just another version of other media we have of expressing ourselves again, like an Instagram profile or a video of myself. 
and what makes it maybe fundamentally different in this case? It can be an interesting concept, but it can also raise worries about how they can be manipulated by users in the way they would like. So avatars or virtual idols, instead of acting in a way that the idols actually think, um, they can be uh, acting in a way that the users would want mm. them to act. So it would just reflect the user's uh, envisioning of those idols and uh, and therefore can be robotic and can yeah. be uh, very controlled. Is it making its own decisions? Is it, you know, what level of autonomy does it have? You could argue the K-pop stars, even as humans, don't have a lot of, lot of control over their brand and their message. So... It might not be that different from, in some ways, they're an avatar being uh, programmed by the the business incentives. So it does get into ethical questions about agency, autonomy, and I think connecting and celebrity, too. Yeah. So when I see this and at this scale, I worry about... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and a way that that sets unrealistic expectations for the fans, like, oh, they can't be sad about this because virtual avatar never has this issue. They only live for my needs in in this very like incel like way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, it's. I will say though, it's not predetermined that we create you know avatars that are perfect, right? You could like program flaws or you know, sadness into them. I don't Actually, know. I yeah. And, and uh, if I can just share another case story with you, Claire, another uh, video game company, Riot Games. Have you heard of this? No. So they, they also created a virtual group, KDA. They, and they're, it's featuring my, my favorite uh, idol bias, uh, Jen Soyeon. But, but that aside, they, they actually chose one of the characters and they equipped her character her background with someone who struggles with mental health interesting to make it feel more accessible Real, genuine uh, multi-dimensional etc and then they had that virtual character talking about their issues in a way publicly online. yeah so that's interesting right we use ai we've seen a use case we actually wrote a, a case study at pai um, about mental health chatbots or therapists. So wouldn't it be mm -hmm. really powerful actually for young K-pop fans to really explore the spectrum of humanity with these idols, right? Maybe they'd get through to them better than a therapist in some ways. So there's also a potential opportunity. Now, I think the skepticism comes at what are these kind of the people running the girl groups trying to get? from fans, attention, engagement, they might not really be trying to facilitate well-being right. in the same way that a lot of big tech platforms that use AI come under fire for, they don't want people to necessarily be happy or uh, informed using their product, but on it all the time so that they can sell ads. And I think that's the fundamental question. Like, why are they using these avatars? And I'd almost even want to talk to users, like what do fans get out of an avatar that might be different than a real person? Um, what, why do they like interacting with the avatar? Why might you say your favorite K-pop star is AE Winter and not the actual character or woman? What do we like more about these kind of virtual selves is a really interesting question. Yeah. Well, I, I will add that uh, 
in that one case with a video game company, that 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 virtual character, it actually got a lot of blowback because this virtual character was consuming the space mm. of people who actually have real life uh, mental health issues. And this is just someone who's kind of like parading into it. Critics would say just for attention yeah. and, and clout. And it's detracting from the real human life issues that need to be uh, addressed. Now, there's all sorts of Im- questions around um, autonomy, um, mm-hmm. representation, the fact that the um, Esper idol avatars kind of look hypersexualized has been something that's been kind of raised as a criticism. I, I mean, th- this concept of like the fans uh, shaping the evolution and growth uh, of uh, either the virtual idols and, and in part bridging that over to the real life idols is interesting. Are, are you familiar with, um, what was it? Uh, I think it was Taybot from Microsoft. They, they, they released this oh, chatbot. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one that got like, yeah, where um, the racist and you know, misogynist, like you yes. know, all these bigotry and like after a couple hours, it started repeating all these hateful comments. So Microsoft had to take it down. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> are, are, do you yeah. think that like, um, if we do head to this future where it's there like, you know, as, as you said, uh, theorize like oh could there be an app in the future where we're influencing their behavior is this a danger or something that we might watch for yeah i mean i'd be curious um i think with um i am not like i didn't do a whole lot of rating on microsoft's tay uh program i mean i'm aware of its existence yeah. and what had happened yeah. but i haven't like read um like deep into it um but i think microsoft just allowed it to like you know just made it open so people can just like teach the program to learn from uh learn from them I doubt that's what SM is going to allow <laughs> their <laughs> AI um, robots or AI uh, idols. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to allow that with, with those idols because um, if we apply that to ESPA, there's real human beings involved. So anything that happens to AIs can negatively impact the image of the human idols. So I think they're going to be really, really careful in uh, the way they allow users to use AIs. I think there's going to they're going to allow hum, uh, users to and fans to engage with a, um, the AI robots in a very interesting way, but going to program it in a way there's like some kind of limitations to how far the AIs can go. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, BTS fanfics. And like that, uh, that's like, you know, something that, that the fans, they just run away. They, it doesn't require like, you know, any sort of like great technical ability, mm-hmm. but it's using the name and likeness of these real mm-hmm. life idols. Yeah. And I, I don't, at least the, my understanding is that they haven't gotten to the, the level of popularity where it's like, you know, a mainstream news cycle. Um, around uh, the emergence of that media. But as we see stuff like that, what effect do you think that has on, you discussed that link earlier between the avatar, the virtual, and the real life idol. What what effect do you think that has on the idol themselves? That's a really good question. Um, and luckily enough, I actually do research on shipping. Um, so I can... <laughs> I, 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 have been reading BTS fan fictions for a very long time. Uh-huh. I may have even I may have even written one or two, which uh, <laughs> not necessarily go into more depth. Um, so one thing that's important to note about um, shipping or coupling, uh-huh. as it's actually more accurately called in Korea. So in Korea, it's called coupling. Um, so you mentioned that it doesn't have a mainstream kind of 
it doesn't mainstream appear. In the I, I don't know yet. Like yeah. I haven't. So, so, I haven't. so it, it does to a certain extent, but what's uh-huh. important is that whilst it may not necessarily be something that's spoken about on the nightly news, it does sit somewhere very importantly in the production cycle of K-pop itself. Mm-hmm. So K-pop production companies, right since the beginning, right since the 1990s when we had HOT and Sex Kiss and, and all of these kind of initial bands emerging and, and shipping became a thing, companies saw that that was happening. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you know, these girls are really into shipping these kind of idols. So let's begin incorporating that into our marketing production. Mm. Um, so I think that we've seen a gradual evolution of K-pop production cycles in which, yeah, when, when an, an idol auditions to join a company and they go through the trainee process, they are now trained to build moments mm. that can then produce shipping. And I yeah. think one of the, the kind of, we're beginning to talk in, in K-pop academic circles of the emergence of a so-called fourth generation. So we had the first generation with um, Soteji and Boys, second generation sitting around the SM powerhouses, TVXQ, etc. Third generation, of course, is the generation of BTS. Um, and then the fourth generation is these new idols that are being marketed deliberately internationally. And the one that I'm most familiar with just happens to be 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, because I kind of got into them very early on and I've been able to watch them. I've seen them interact. I went to their concerts, blah, blah, blah. And 80s is very clear that they they went hard with a ship right at the outset and they wanted us to say, oh, there's this guy named San and this guy named Uyong and they have a really close relationship. <laughs> and then... And then they, oh, look, they're, they're so friendly with each other. And then they start doing V-lives where they're like, oh, look, it's the umbrella couple, Usan. And, and, and it was very clear that it was built into the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so shipping is another way for people to build their intimacy through imagined versions of characters. Um, sorry, imagined versions of idols or characters based on the idols. So mm-hmm. most shippers are really well aware that what they're doing is based in fantasy and is separate from reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I say most because some, of course... Um, do fall into the fantasy space a little bit too hard and can't distinguish between the two. Um, and so it's just another element of, of the ways in which fans engage with um, idols creatively. And, of course, shipping can involve ethical concerns um, around sexual content. Um, now, I am not one of these people who, who argue shipping is bad, don't sexualize the idols, wrong, 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 because that neglects the fact that the, the companies themselves are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, K-pop is a sexualized commodity, mm-hmm. like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because a lot of the work that I've done with shippers in Australia, in Japan, and in the Philippines, they're all from the LGBTQ community and they find mm. it as a really important way to explore their own kind of queer identities, but also their LGBTQ relationships with the idol. Um, I had this fantastic quote from a guy in the Philippines who's like, oh yeah, I read these really hardcore G Cook fix and it's because I, I want, like it allows me to kind of imagine that, yeah, maybe I could get with them and I'm kind of like, okay, mm. sure. Um, so it's about creating another kind of layer to the relationship. Now, ethically, of course, it needs to be negotiated. And that's why fans who engage with this aspect of, of the, the, the shipping process think carefully around 
fantasy. But then we hit this problem, this kind of question around, you know, are they being used with their consent? And once again, it tumbles into that kind of risk management kind of issue that I was raising with regard to deep fake pornography. What's the difference between uh, a kind of homoerotic BTS fan fiction that's extremely, extremely explicit and a deep fake pornographical image manipulation of a female idol? Um, I mean, fundamentally, functionally, there is no difference. Mm-hmm. But what is different is that shipping is understood and managed and kind of situated within production in K-pop. So mm-hmm. the K-pop production companies are aware of it and mm-hmm. they work with it. Mm-hmm. And like with what BTS Universe did, they knew that shipping was a thing. So what was one of the first things that they led, like kind of led their regulations with? You can't do shipping. Mm. We understand it's something you enjoy, but these are, this is our idols' images that you're using now. So we need to control it for their safety. So sorry, no shipping. Of course, fans got around it, but it doesn't matter. Like the idol company was aware of it. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, the difference. So I hope that when we learn more about how these avatars will roll out and how fans will engage with them, that SM will release similar levels of guidelines that will very clearly say you cannot produce sexually explicit material with these avatars. And then we've hit the the kind of sweet spot where... Yes, fans now know the limits, and then people who break those limits are very clearly engaging in bad faith and then can be either prosecuted or managed in some way, shape, or form. And I think that that is the difference at the moment, where everything I'm talking about with regard to deep fakes hasn't, like, there's a conversation beginning, but when it comes to shipping, that conversation has been had and the plans have been put in place and it's managed. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to engage any further in arguments around the ethical nature of whether shipping is okay or not. I think it's fairly clear what my position is from what <laughs> I've been saying. Um, but I think that it is something that reveals as a kind of counter case study to, to deepfake what happens when companies engage with it proactively and also don't just go in swinging with a band hammer because mm. you ban something and it will happen. Like it will just lead people to do things. So I'm not necessarily mm-hmm. advocating that people should be going out there and using, um, you know, the, the Esper avatars to make hardcore pornography, but you know, maybe it might be fun to do some shipping with them. I don't know. Maybe you can ship them with yourself. I think that's something that they're probably very clearly intending to happen, which of course mm-hmm. has ethical implications. So every time I raise these things, then my mind goes, and there's ethical implications. And, and I think that there'll never be a pure kind of ethical answer to any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes it complicated. One of the things that I thought was really interesting about your email was you said something about how, you know, Western fans um, interest in responsible consumption of yep. popular content. Mm-hmm. And I think you were talking, you phrased that, you, you used that phrase to talk about this wariness that Western K-pop fans have about consuming AIs or consuming um, virtual idols because it can be very dehumanizing to the real mm-hmm. human being. I think mm-hmm. that was the of that phrase. With K- with Korean K-pop fans, uh, they're also concerned about responsible consumption of K-pop contents, but the way they think about responsible consumption is really different from the mm. way Western 
Republicans have uh, been think have been talking about regarding uh, ESPA, their concern is first of all the timing of ESPA's debut, uh, because SM had like two major scandals that broke around the time mm. ESPA debuted. Like first with Irene, and then second with Chanyar of EXO. And then ESPA came out and people were like, the timing is so suspicious. This must be SM's way of covering things up. Uh, you know, and it, it comes across as very unethical. That's one mm. of the things that K-pop fans in Korea have been discussing ESPA. Another way they've been talking about ESPA is, um, and these are mostly rumors, none have really been confirmed, but there's been a lot of rumor about three of the four members uh, past, ESPA members past, and it Kind, it comes across as very unethical to Korean K-pop fans, like how they uh, went like with one member. It had to do with talking badly about the seniors that they, you know, that they work with. And mm -hmm. for American fans, it's like, what's the big deal? Everybody, you know, talks uh, badly about people behind their back. But in Korea, it's, it's against this very uh, social norm, right? Yeah. You have to respect yeah. your sambas, your elders. And for a rookie who hasn't even debuted to talk badly of sambas is considered to be unethical. Mm -hmm. And another member had to do with like drinking underage and stuff like that. Uh, so for people who are not open to ESPA are using those reasons to like boycott or to not pay attention to ESPA. So for them, that's their ethical consumption mm -hmm. or responsible I, consumption, yeah. not paying attention to or not buying into ESPA because of their devious past. So mm -hmm. the way, you know, so when you, when I read that phrase, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. What does yeah. responsible consumption mean? Because in one culture, it means this, whereas in Korea, it means completely different thing. But they agree that it's important to consume k-pop contents in a responsible way yeah so just wanted to i know like i kind of deviated from oh, the original no, no, question. No, that, that's the, it was actually my next question so oh, yeah, it's, yeah yeah very much it sounds like there's two different paradigms for what it means to be like a responsible uh consumer yeah um it, i mean from from your vantage point is there anything that you would suggest that um you know fans who want to think critically about mm -hmm. k-pop or yeah. think about uh, what they support and what financial uh, support they provide to these labels and groups, what would you suggest to them as they think about uh, ASPA? Wow, yeah. I mean, again, like K-pop fandom is not monolith, monolithic. Mm. It's yeah. very, very big. Um, and even like international K-pop fandom is so big. Like, you know, there are fans from Southeast Asia, fans from India, from Africa, and then from the US and Europe. And they all have like different ideas about K-pop and they all have different meanings that they create through K-pop. Uh, so it was really hard for me to say, oh, this is like the way that, you know, K-pop fans need to engage with K-pop in a way that's responsible, in a way that's like, you know, um, meaningful or productive. Um, well, I think like it's one good thing is that it is like important to be wary of the way K-pop companies um, use uh, K-pop idols. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of concern about how these companies do exploit the labor and the and, and when I say labor, not just physical, but emotional labor of the idols. And with ESPA, there was a lot of concern about how uh, how. Um, how SM might exploit uh, the girls through ESPA, through virtual idols, because one of the things that Isuman said was how, in, you know, how, and he, he talked about coronavirus and how in the Arab pandemic, like it's difficult for idols to be everywhere. You know, there's mm -hmm. like, right. 
there's like geographical limitations and there are a lot of like, you know, and idols can't be everywhere at once. And in order to like solve that problem, he introduced the concept of AI, AI idols or AI celebrity. Oh. Uh, they can be there for the fans 24-7. And if you, I mean, if you just take it at the surface level, it's like, great. He's like trying to provide service to fans where fans can interact with their idols 24-7. But if you kind of flip it, it also means that there's a room for exploitation of idols, meaning that, you know, like these AIs, if they are, if the if these virtual idols or idols or AI idols are modeled after the, the human idols, that means that human idols have to work hard like they have to provide more resources uh, mm -hmm. that the company can use to uh, provide service to the fans. And the question would be, would they be compensated? Like, because they're basically mm -hmm. like giving the Over soul yeah, yeah. to their minds, their thoughts, their soul to the company so they can continue, they can create a very realistic kind of AI robot. And I think that was actually the um, question that the episode with um, Miley Cyrus in, in Black black mirror had posed like, that's you know, right yeah. yeah so um and i think it's great that fans are worried about worry about it and are like raising the issue and putting pressure to the company to not like you know um use ai or virtual idol in that way um you know so kind of always like you know um always being critical and always questioning the motive of the company's uh, use of idols is I think always good. But that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy interacting with the K-pop idols, or it doesn't mean that you should completely like boycott uh, K-pop or K-pop idols because uh, there, there are so many like problematic uh, behaviors or, or actions uh, going on that you don't necessarily agree with. It's just like, you know, always taking a step back and just like questioning things um, is a good way. Um, but that's, but I feel like that was just more of an answer in response to ESPA. I don't know with, um, yeah, what, what would be like a good, like, I don't know what would be a good way to, I, I think like always questioning the business practices and purposes and motivation, just mm -hmm. paying attention to what the company says about their groups, whether they are paying, whether they are doing their job in taking care of the well-being of the idols is always good. But I think it's also important not to be always, uh, you know, um, be mindless supportive of the K-pop groups as well. That can yeah. be also dangerous because I see that yeah. happening all the time. And I see that happening with Espa as well. As well. Uh, so many fans are like, you know, if somebody does raise like good question, you know, because everybody has different interpretation and understanding um, from their interaction with K-pop. And when they pose those questions, the fans who are supportive of the group would automatically label them as haters or mm -hmm. just leave K-pop fandom. And I think that's also very detrimental. So to always kind of like take a step back and be critical of not only what the company does, but what fandom does, um, I think is really, really, you know, important in creating a very healthy relationship with k-pop in general so my advice to k-pop fans looking to consume either espa or any band critically is to question um mm -hmm. and to to go through these processes of risk analysis and and sit and reflect on you know what are the implications for this to the artist 
to the company and to me as a fan. Mm-hmm. Make yourself aware of the various perhaps legal contexts, but also socio-cultural contexts that you're operating in. Um, if you're in America, you have particular cultural norms that may not necessarily be the same cultural norms in South Korea or in you know the Philippines or Australia or where have you. So to be a K-pop fan, fan nowadays is to be aware of the cultural norms in which you're operating, and that becomes complicated because there's so many. Um, it's really fundamental to understand how Korea operates, mm-hmm. South Korea, mm-hmm. um, and of course to be aware that cultural difference is a thing and we need to be um, somewhat empathetic to differences across culture. That being said, you know, Korea being a highly patriarchal society, does of course mean that we need to be kind of careful with how we engage with their particular um, kind of attitudes towards certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I mention that because a lot of the, my concerns around um, ESPA emerge out of my awareness that we've got a company led by a very traditional Korean man mm-hmm. within a particular South Korean context that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily think about women in the most positive way. Um, in a very objectified way. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so um, to be a critical fan is to be able to negotiate all these contexts and to research. We need to research. And researching isn't going onto Twitter and talking to people. Researching is engaging with the work of scholars who study K-pop. Whether you mean I can't son. just go to my usual echo chamber with self-confirming no, views? No, not. Because, because that that is unfortunately, you know, whether that be K-pop or, you know, US politics, that's not going to necessarily <laughs> help roll that out. And I would mention it's Australian politics too. That's it for this episode of the K-Pop Cast. Obviously, there's a lot more we can go down. What if, for example, SM Entertainment tried using posthumous AI entertainers and actors? If they created a synthetic version of Junghyun, is that a line going too far? Since recording this episode, we've had a number of other AI incidents. Lee Luda was an AI chatbot that was taken down due to hate speech towards sexual minorities and other disabled people. Uh, Nancy, member of Momoland, uh, was a victim of another deep fake issue. So uh, these issues remain with us um, in 2021. And I hope that you listeners of the K-pop cast can think critically about these issues and consume K-pop responsibly. Yeah.